0: Welcome to the Charleston School of Law Podcast. I'm your host, John Strubel You can subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or listen on your favorite audio player. We also have streaming episodes and our full archives available on our website at charlestonlaw.edu. Joining us on the show today is Dean Provost and Charleston School of Law Professor Larry Cunningham. How was your Thanksgiving, my friend? Very good. Good uh we'll get we'll jump right in here for those who have not met you can you kind of give us a thumbnail sketch of your professional and education background first
1: sure so I uh, joined the Charleston School of Law about three and a half years ago as uh, as Dean my goal in doing so was to uh, play my role to help the school and in particular students as much as possible mm. Um Prior to coming to Charleston, I served for 12 years uh, at St. John's University in New York in a variety of administrative uh, roles while
0: also being a a faculty member. Uh, And before that, I was a prosecutor. A prosecutor. Um, uh, Is that what you teach in the classroom, to some degree, a component of that? To some degree. So I, I...
1: I teach evidence, which is a required course uh, okay. for second years uh, at Charleston, um, it, and it was important to me when I joined that I that I teach. Okay, uh, a lot of deans uh, when they become dean they don't teach at all. Right, and and I wanted to stay connected to the to the classroom. And what I love about evidence is it's a very practical hands on course whether somebody wants to be a prosecutor or a defense attorney or work in, in civil litigation. So I don't teach it from any one uh, perspective, although I tend to use uh, a lot of examples from criminal
0: cases mm. just because that's my, my background. Mm. What are students, since you've been removed from actual practicing law for a little while, what are students today, Larry, teaching you I mean, are you learning as well as oh, sure. educating? Absolutely, and I think the
1: the role that technology is playing uh, is is really important, and it's given given me an opportunity to think about how technology would or should be used uh, in the courtroom. Yeah. And so, you know, when I was a a trial lawyer, for instance, social media was not a thing. Okay. Now, in criminal cases. Both prosecution and the defense are regularly introducing activity from social media into evidence. And understanding how to do that requires an application of long-standing evidence and trial practice rules mm. to this new environment. And so the students will bring up new technologies and ask how they you know, how they would be go about being admitted. Um, and it gives you a
0: chance to think about it. And how do you educate yourself to stay relevant and current on some of those issues that you may have been removed from when you were actually practicing law? Is it a continuing education process for you? Absolutely.
1: Uh, so... Yeah, I try to stay abreast of major cases that are decided, new legislation. Uh, here in South Carolina, there's really fantastic uh, bar, the South Carolina Bar mm. uh, puts out the South Carolina Lawyer Magazine, which many of our faculty have, have written for, sure. uh, and there are usually a lot of wonderful updates uh, uh, in that. and uh, in in other publications that come out from the from the bar associations, and uh, you know, you could really spend all day just uh, just staying abreast of, of developments <laughs> in the law.
0: Yeah, especially with social media and technology, which moves so fast these days. So it's really difficult. Let's move on to Charleston School of Law in in some news that we recently announced here: filing an application with the American Bar Association uh, seeking the conversion from for-profit school to non-profit. Now, writing that in a single sentence is nice and easy, but w- how difficult is that, and what are some of the challenges that come along with that?
1: Well, the yeah, this has been a, a, a long goal of the law school even before I, I joined. Okay. Um, but it's a long process uh, that requires, first of all, a lot of planning and thinking about how to actually convert the school from for-profit to non-profit, and then what does the structure of the new nonprofit uh, look like? Uh, and so we were in the position a few weeks ago to take the first regulatory step, which is to request permission from our uh, principal accreditor, the American Bar Association, uh, uh, to take w- what's considered by them a substantial change. Okay. And so that requires filing of a pretty involved application, yeah. which then has to be carefully uh, reviewed by the, by the ABA. Uh, if they sign off, then there are a number of other Regulatory approvals at the state and federal levels that we'll have to we'll have to go through, none of which is guaranteed, nor is there any particular timeline uh, for the ABA or okay. anyone else to to act on. But it's something that we're uh, we're definitely excited uh, to have taken this first step.
0: What are the benefits for a student in a nonprofit setting? compared to a for profit. The
1: the benefits of converting to nonprofit are really long term in the sense that it will allow us to do uh, direct fundraising uh, from alumni and friends, uh, of the school because okay. those, those donations are tax deductible, uh, once you get through various, uh, various approvals. Uh, and so that opens up a world of opportunities to fund student scholarships and, and, uh, facility improvements or additions or, or adding to faculty or, or other things that students might, might notice. But you, the, the, the essence of the school doesn't change yeah we are a very student-centered school with an open-door policy both of the faculty and, and administration uh none of that changes when Uh, when
0: if we are able to complete this uh, this process one of the successes and are very excited about is our fall class profile can you tick off some of those numbers and where we are currently with our current fall class and so we welcomed uh, 225 new uh,
1: students to Mm -hmm. the fall class they are a very impressive group they are highly credentialed and they come from all over the the country 1700 students applied for for those for those seats which was one of our highest uh, application uh, periods in a uh, in a long long time in particular this was our sixth consecutive year of increasing the academic profile of the of the incoming class which is a really good sign for the future prospects of the school to mm. see that we're becoming not only a place that's very interesting to applicants, but it's also one that it's becoming increasingly selective to get into. The new students are really terrific, but so are the two Ls and the three Ls. Sure, you know the yeah. the we, we tend to a- attract a, a student body that that reflects Charleston in the sense of being welcoming and and supportive
0: uh, of of one another in the class. Being uh, put right here in. The- the middle of downtown Charleston is not a uh, deterrent at all. <laughs> Students love no. that when they come in. Charleston is one of the big selling points for no,
1: us. No, and 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 you know, as as a transplant myself from from New York, sure. I can I can certainly see the the benefits. But I think it's our combination of being in the city of Charleston, being right in the the middle of the peninsula, mm. but also what goes on inside the four walls sure. in terms of the quality of the the classroom teaching, the accessibility of our of our faculty, and the support that our administration and staff provide to, mm. to students. I think that's really what, it's that, that
0: one-two punch that I think really makes the, the difference in recruiting students. There's a phrase we use often here at Charleston Law, it's open doors. It, that really defines, I think, what our faculty does, being available to other students, we're not feeding them some marketing line. This has grown organically from what students say, they're always available, they're always here. When you're going through a hiring, what creates that quality? That is it just a passion for the law?
1: I think it's a passion for law and it's a passion for helping students. Okay. And so somebody who doesn't have that passion is not going to fit in here. I think that's something that really comes across when prospective faculty or members of administration visit on campus. Mm -hmm. We always include a meeting with students, for instance, Mm -hmm. so that they can meet the students and the students can, uh, can meet them. During the, the tour of the facility, they'll see the open doors. They'll see the the students waiting, you know, patiently to to get in to meet with a, a professor uh, to ask them questions. Particularly this time of year. So I was just walking around the building actually, and it's uh, we're recording this on the Monday after Thanksgiving, uh, so a week before final exams begin, right. and and the hallways are a buzz with activity. Yeah. Uh, students looking to to meet with faculty and and. Uh, ask those important uh, last-minute questions as they
0: they wrap up their preparation for final exams. You know, and I see this from the marketing and PR side myself. They hear that phrase, open doors, in, in our videos and some of our marketing language because it did come up organically, and they wonder, is this just a slang term? Is this a marketing term? And other students tell them, you just wait. You wait till you get and they all come back and say, wow, it's actually true.
1: Yes, and, and we've been routinely recognized by Princeton Review, for instance, about right. the, the accessibility of, uh, of faculty. But it's not just open doors uh, in a physical sense. Mm. And yes, faculty are here, they have office hours, but you know, increasingly students want to engage uh, by email or by text or, or by Zoom. and we try to accommodate that uh uh, as much as possible and meet the students where uh where they are Mm -hmm. and you know that that doesn't happen unless you have a real passion for for teaching and for helping students succeed which uh, our faculty uh, do Uh, and and that just creates this this nice self-sustaining
0: culture that i think um we've seen really since the beginning of the school i think the other component of open doors that I have seen in the couple years I have been here is that when we say open doors... It's not just the faculty being available in their office, it's also open doors to opportunities for internships, externships, working at law firms, getting job opportunities, career development, all those things that are open doors everywhere you turn, even your fellow students and peers they really work together because there have been law school settings where I've heard of where the competitiveness can kind of divide the student body too.
1: That's correct. One of the things that I've been so impressed with, and and again, it's not a anomaly with one particular year, but these last three and a half years I've been here, each class has been so supportive of, of one another, whether it's putting on activities with, uh, local bar associations and specialty bar associations, uh, Alumni networking uh, events, or you know, fundraising for uh, for scholarships, or uh, uh, collecting canned goods for the Low Country Food Bank, which uh, students just had a record. Uh, I think it was thirty-four hundred pounds of of food that were uh, that were uh, delivered. Um, and so it's that that's just kind of ethos that that permeates the the school. It's also good for their for their own well being sure. in order to give back through our pro bono program, or or by connecting with bar associations, or uh, or by getting involved with charitable uh, causes. You know, these are all valuable things that fit into a
0: holistic well-being yeah. for, for students, which is another value we really try to... We've moved the library from a se- separate facility within the building. The feedback you've received so far.
1: I think we also have to clarify what do we mean by here when we say here, yeah, because true. for for <laughs> uh, some of the early uh, alumni, they may not have been at in this particular building, 385 Meeting Street, the old Bell South building. The law school used to be spread out all across uh, downtown with you know, a few offices here, a few classrooms over here, um, and actually I remember um, my my family has lived in the Charleston area for, uh, I think going on 20 years now, and I remember visiting them and happened to be walking up and down King Street with them and seeing oh, there's a sign for Charleston School of Law. There's a sign for Charleston <laughs> School of Law. That's very, it must have been fascinating to to you know be walking you know, in between classes on King Street on the other hand that came with uh, with some downsides and we have so we have been slowly over the years consolidating into one building which is the the old Bell South building uh, 385 meeting Street and so what we had the opportunity to do was to take over the first floor of the building okay Uh, we had been in the the third floor for quite some time we added the second floor a few years ago and now as you said a year ago uh, we expanded into the first floor uh, which gave us an opportunity to all be in one building for the uh, really since the founding of the school mm. and it also gave us an opportunity to rethink our library mm. um, think about what students need in 2023 versus what they needed in 2004 when the first class enrolled so much has changed with legal research uh, in, in the use of technology um, you know as a as a academic at heart I'm, uh, yeah I'm, I'm somewhat sad to see some of the books go <laughs> away, but uh, I'm also a, a futurist and and uh, see where technology is taking us sure. and and so this gave us a real nice opportunity to rethink our physical collection, our electronic resources available to students, and then what other spaces are really important for students. The library now is much more, a student center Mm -hmm. than it is a location of books. So it is a center for students to study. So we have 19 different study rooms. Uh, We have comfortable areas for them to hang out. Uh, We have sort of long traditional library uh, tables. But we also have co-located in that space all of our research librarians. And so they are really very close by to help students with, with research and student affairs and career services are now in that space Mm -hmm. as well. And so it's sort of a one-stop shop for students during the day. They can study, get help, with, uh, with legal research. Uh, but they can also get help with, uh, their search for, uh, for a job or for internships, Mm -hmm. which is a really important
0: priority for them and for me, uh, as well. Yeah. And a couple other pieces on the library that I want to tap into. Um, when we rethought this process, we also added courtroom settings, which are very, very cool in themselves and the mediation center, which is accessible to Alumni and outside firms, if they want to come in and do mediation at a more neutral location, so we we have done that and included the community as well. That's right,
1: and um, the you know, the advocacy programs at the law school have always been strong. Yep. Uh, you know there were uh, you know, many years where where we won the tax law moot court competition mm-hmm. uh, in a row. Um, And our mock trial program's been successful. Increasingly, we've had a very successful transactional law program under Professor Steadman's leadership. Um, And we really wanted to have dedicated spaces for those programs, recognizing that they are all different. And so the transactional law team's office, for instance, is on the second floor. And it's much more uh, of a conference table layout. Um, we have an additional conference room on the first floor. Then we have a small courtroom that's geared more towards mock trial. Yep. Uh, and it's set up as a teaching courtroom rather than a real world courtroom. Right. So there's no jury box. Instead, there's audience for fellow students to be able to watch Um watch a trial, uh, in progress. And then we have a large classroom that doubles as our moot courtroom, which is set up as an appellate bench and, uh, can be used
0: for, uh, moot court practices and competitions. And it's, it's so, um, fluid that you can move things around can't you in that larger one
1: that was also something something important we wanted we wanted the space to be used Mm -hmm. uh, and we wanted to make sure that it was it had a high utilization rate Mm -hmm. as they say in the industry Uh, and so we deliberately got furniture that's on wheels and could be reconfigured and and set up in different different formats depending upon the use uh, and the, uh, and the audience. We also, it was also important to us that we brought from 81 Mary street, the old library, some of that old Charleston historic charm. And so that fed into a lot of the, the design choices. So you see a lot of wood elements as well as some high tech, uh, choices, uh, Uh, certain color choices, wood paneling, things like that, that we really tried to um, uh, show deference to our historical roots, both as a city, but also uh, to 81 Mary Street, uh, which itself is a very old and historic
0: building. Yeah. Um, Our guest is Dean Larry Cunningham at the Charleston School of Law. Improving student outcomes, um, Obviously, if you're involved in the law school setting at all, you know how important that is to get students from graduation to uh, the practice of law. Can you talk about a little bit about the strategy and development of that? Because we have seen substantial growth in that area. What are some of the key components that leverage that success? Well, I I would say the most
1: important thing is intentionality. First of all, sort of identifying what those outcomes are. So principally bar passage and and job placement measured a year outside of law school. Um, And then being very intentional about monitoring that data and implementing Solutions to help drive those numbers up. Okay, uh, and so there, uh, there are a lot of steps that we take on both uh, bar exam and also uh, uh, job placement uh, that are very focused on on individual students. Uh, so, for example, in career services, every student has assigned a career counselor who works with them from their first semester of law school until they graduate, and then after. Graduation, okay. And so they get to know those students and help individualize their plan in, in order to achieve the, their particular uh, outcomes. Okay. So we help students on an individual level, but we also help students on a global level. So mm-hmm. we have a, a bar prep class in the, uh, in the third year. Uh, we also uh, introduce students uh, in their, their first semester to academic skills. Uh, to, to help give them a foundation to demystify some of the process of how to be a law student okay. how to how studying is different than college how preparing for exams will be different from college and how exam them exams themselves will be a different experience and how to uh, how to attack them uh and to to do as well as you you possibly can so uh, a lot of this is is just being very intentional looking to see where where students are coming from what do they need and then helping to uh to address some of those uh those those areas where we know there there might be some room for, for improvement. Mm. The other thing we do, which is somewhat of a novel concept in higher education, is we actually listen to students. Um, wow, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know. So you know, we will routinely survey students about about uh, the curriculum or about. Uh, about what job areas they are interested in Um, when we were building out the new library we had a student advisory group that I walked the space with on on several occasions and they pointed out things that that little things that that might really help the the student experience Um, right now this week all students are completing evaluations for all their courses Mm. Um, those are helpful not only to the professors but Uh, myself and Dean Lawton, uh, Associate Dean for Academic Affairs, we read every single course evaluation for every single course and professor. Um, And that's a way to identify excellent teaching. Uh, We we include it in in certain personnel uh, uh, decisions. Uh, But it also helps to keep an eye on the curriculum and where students uh, are, are having uh, uh, suggestions for uh, for improvement, right? Uh, and that can make make all the difference. Some of the best ideas come from students themselves, yeah. Uh, and you just have to listen to them,
0: yeah. And they know exactly where the barriers are sometimes, and you want to move, remove those barriers to get to the learning process, right.
1: right? And so it's really meant to be a collaborative process, yeah. It's but but it's not a mentality that the consumer is always right. right. I don't want to give a misimpression there, but it is. You know there will ultimately be decisions that we have to make uh, that are in the best interest of of students. Yeah. Um, but you know, as part of that process, triangulating what what they say about their their
0: experience uh, is really important. Yeah. Just finding a good balance there. Uh, final point here. Let's talk about our alumni. We've been seeing a lot of our graduates who are in the practice of law now coming to us, they're getting promoted, they're getting appointed for jobs, and we always love to share their success stories. So if you're an alumni of Charleston School of Law and you're listening to this podcast, it's as simple as sending us an email at alumni at charlestonlaw.edu and just tell us your story. Or if you know of an alumni and they're a little bit more humble and they don't want to share the information, you can just uh, direct us to them and we will certainly uh, identify them and uh, celebrate with them on their success. We're also excited about coming up in the new year, the South Carolina Bar annual meeting, the convention is going to be right here in Charleston, and we are sponsoring that. Yeah, we're one of the sponsors for the South Carolina
1: Bar uh, Convention. It's going to be right down the, the street from us, and uh, we'll be having a uh, special reception uh, for alumni and friends of the law school uh, uh, in the new library space. Uh, and so it's an opportunity for alumni to come back and uh, take a look at at uh, the facility and uh Meet uh, Some old and new, and new professors exactly. and, and administrators, and uh, and reconnect with uh, with one another. Um, particularly as the school is on this, w- what we all see is this tremendous upswing. Yeah, um, you know, this is a really great way to to for for alumni to reconnect with the with the school
0: yes so if you are not registered for the south carolina bar convention you want to do so just go to their website scbarconvention.org it's january 18th through the 21st and they have cle events and different opportunities for you to learn and network and grow all the way through that larry cunningham thank you so much for your time